Welcome to BTL. This is the Born to Lead podcast. This is your host, Brett Kelly, and I've got on this episode, the queen of passive income. The queen. There's not just multiple. It's not plural. It's just one. It's Linda McKissick. So Linda, thank you for joining in and being on BTL. This is, um, I'm really excited about it. So thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thank you, Brett. Linda, you got to tell me, how, how are you the queen? I want to know how, where did this come from? Yeah, actually, I think it was a, a couple of people that I've helped along the way decided that I was the queen of passive income. And I thought, you know what? I am the queen. You know, <laughs> you, you claim it, you own it, you are it, right? Uh, and I think it's because you're not going to be able to have a conversation with me, especially, uh, you know, my, my wonderful tribe of people that I love helping is entrepreneurs and specifically realtors. You're not going to have a conversation with me that it's not going to come up because um, we've learned our lesson the hard way about how important it is. And I, I'm, I just think that most people don't hear it or think of it or talk about it enough. So I'm always going to be the one that brings it up for somebody. All right. That's a perfect, perfect transition right there. So people don't bring that topic up and on so many podcasts and so many, I mean, interviews on, it, it doesn't matter what show it's even on. People don't really get into that vulnerable state and talk about the failures. All that they really want to talk about is their Ferrari or Lamborghini and the mansion and castle and their planes and the helicopters and all the vacation stuff. And it was, I, I get it. It's great. But how, how could you share with us or, or please share with us what that looked like in the tough times and the troubles and the questions you were asking yourself when you were, I know a little bit of the back history and, and severe amount of debt. So let's, let's talk about that for a little bit. Well, one cool thing, Brad, I think is uh, before the planes and the vacation homes and the Ferraris, for those of the, those that have a Ferrari, mine happens to be a Land Rover, before all those, you actually fail your way there. So that's why most people, I think, want to hear about the failures, because quite honestly, the failures are kind of what reminds you you're on the right path uh, and that you're acting bold enough and big enough and and with enough courage to get to those end destinations that most people would love to get to. And that's exactly how ours came. It came in the form of my husband being in the restaurant and nightclub business in the late eighties. Uh, I honestly was only 23 years old and I always like to say, I didn't even know what the word economy meant, much less whether it was a good one or a bad one, but I knew something was wrong because he started to act differently and worry and stress. And there, I would soon find out the reason he was stressing is because we had sold a business for $600,000 less than we owed against it. And, you know, I'm 23. I'm, I hadn't gone to college right out of high school because no one in my family quite honestly went to college. So it just wasn't something that registered my radar, to be honest. Um, and so I just went to work and then very quickly realized I couldn't make more than about minimum wage unless I was waitressing or bartending. And so I was in the middle of college trying to figure out who am I and how do you make money in this world? And then all of a sudden we're hit with $600,000 worth of debt. It kind of speeded up my progress. I, I, I kind of said, I don't know if anything I'm about to do in college is going to get me there. So I always like to say I've been married 38 years. I don't wake up every day and ask my husband, what does he think I should do? I usually just do what I think I should do. But for that particular situation, 
I had the insight or the wisdom to ask him, what do you think I should do? You know, I'm a hard worker. I mean, I, all my life I've had two and three jobs. It's not that I'm lazy or anything like that. It's just haven't found anything where I can make more than about minimum wage unless I bartend or waitress. And he said, you know, a friend of his told him a long time ago, if you want to make a lot of money, real estate is the way to do it. And so we like to laugh today because I have since found out who that friend was. It was a peewee coach of his that was a big Dallas developer. So I doubt this man meant, you know, get a wife someday, get her to sell in houses. You guys will be rich forever. I think the message got messed up, but I'm thankful it did because come to find out selling real estate is a great cash flow business. It's just not a wealth building business unless you buy some or invest in some. So I think the guy meant buy or invest it. And we did eventually get around to that. But however, that gave me an idea. I didn't even know of any, I didn't know any realtors. I had never, I don't even know that my family had ever actually owned a home. So I don't know that we ever had a reason to know a realtor. Right. And I'm still too young to have owned a home and know a realtor. So I didn't even know what a realtor did, but quickly found out and jumped in and sure enough, it started to fix our cash flow problem. However, that failure and that pain and that loss, Brett caused us to realize that we needed to learn who are the people in the world that when these kind of things happened, they're in a different situation. They don't have to, you know, downsize their car and, you know, live as, you know, cheap as they possibly can to get by. Who are these people? And so that put us on a journey of of discovering Robert Kiyosaki's book, Cashflow Quadrant, and understanding that wealthy people get all their money from the right side of his quadrant, which is businesses or investments. And a hundred percent of our money at that time was coming from the left side, which was being self-employed people. Both of us were self-employed. And so, you know, I'm thankful for that failure because I truly believe anything like that happens in your life. If you will find the lessons in it and do something about it, they will become your greatest successes and, or you can waller in it and, and, and not get the lessons and have it happen over and over again. And so I'm always thankful for the failures. It means I'm I'm making commitments that are scary and take courage. And it's those kind of commitments that make you have a big life. It's not the little bitty things that you already have comfort around. It's those things that, that you go through or that you put yourself into by making commitment that, that actually scares you, that actually makes a big life. It's so interesting, you know, that you say that, and it's very true in any type of sales realm, no matter if it's real estate or it could be medical device. I mean, Sales is everything, honestly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. At, at the end of the day, it is. But fear of loss and opportunity for gain, there, there's a huge difference in all of that, but there's so much correlated there where you, you didn't ask to get into that massive amount of debt, you know, but you, you saw after you started to gain that traction, you saw opportunity for gain and you did not want to turn back and look again at where you just came from. So what is it that, what is it, Linda, that, that motivates you to work so hard? Well, you know, I I don't know because, um, you know, I've worked hard. I can certainly remember lazy points in my life. You know, I think when I was in high school and I lived with my sister, we probably had more fights over my messy bedroom and (laughs) all the things that I didn't want to do. But, you know, I think that says more about (laughs) behaviorally who I am, but I think I've always, and you know, some people are motivated by fear and some by loss and some by gain. I think I am more motivated by fear of loss. Uh, Mm. You know, 
I'm not so afraid that it paralyzes. However, I've been extremely poor and I've been not poor and I like the not poor better. And I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to get to a place in my life. And one of the reasons that I have people look at this in their own life is, you know, what does your life look like 20 years from now if you keep doing what you're doing? And one of the reasons I think I have people do that is because one of my fears is I don't want to be a burden on anybody. I don't want someone else mm. to have to take care of me. You know, my husband and I both have been in families or are in families where we wind up burying or the financial repercussions of parents who didn't right. prepare enough or whatever. And so neither one of us want to be in that situation. So that is a little bit of a motivator for me. But I also like, I want to see how big my life can get. And I think that's a big motivator for me. I, I, I know how far I've come. I want to see how far I can go. And I, I've just noticed that the bigger I make my life, the more other people can be involved, the more rewarding it is, the more lives I get to change. And when you do those things, you can't keep the money away. The money is a byproduct of the value you bring to the world. And so it just gets funner and funner to do that. And now to reverse it and have people in your life that, you know, that are maybe siblings or parents that, that don't have enough money and you can step into that gap and it doesn't even make a beep on your radar. I don't know how you describe that to people. That is so rewarding and, mm -hmm. and such a cool place to be. And you can't explain that to somebody. They have to get there and experience it themselves. And I think that's why we don't have the conversations enough because we don't think about those things. They're so far out in our future. We just think about immediate things that we need. And so I don't know. I, I think I've just always been a hard worker. I came, I, you know, my family came out early. You had to work as a kid. My dad was in teardown construction. And at the time I was lazy and didn't want to do it. But I think it was a benefit later because, you know, we'd get up early and go to a job site. And even though I was a girl, there was jobs I got to do, pull nails, clean bricks. I mean, none of that stuff was fun or exciting when you're a little girl, but I think it gave me a work ethic. Um, and, and the thing I worry about today with our own kids is have we taken that away from them by, you know, justifying that they're busy and they don't have time to work. Working taught me so much growing up that I think that helped have a work ethic. And I just, I want to see how big I can make my life. And every stage I like better than the last. And, and of course not missing the key things, which is family and, and all of that stuff is important to do along the way. But if I can do that and just see how big I can make a life, why not? You know, I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to do that. No, I, I'm I'm 100% with you in that. And growing up and and having that type of childhood where you were, I would say, almost forced to to be out there on the job site. You know, and, yeah. and you may not have recognized it at the time until you can reflect on it now. Growing up and having some of those hard times, who were you seeking approval from most? Um, you know, I think as a kid, you're always seeking approval from whoever is in your life. You know, my dad and my, I lived with my dad and my two brothers, so it had to be them, you know, uh, and I was forced to do it. it there was no choice because where am I going to stay? Right. I mean, they're getting up to go to the yeah. job site. You know, I did get to sleep in the truck a little bit longer than my <laughs> brothers got to because they were boys and I was a girl. Uh, but, um, but I think, you know, you know, I guess if I was seeking anybody's approval, it's going to be whoever's the adult above me, whoever the person is that you look to for everything you need at that age. I don't know. I hadn't really thought about that that much. Um, 
but I, I'm I'm sure it's it was my father. You know, I, I feel the same. You know, I, I recently started to reflect on that question because that's a lot of who has made us into the the individuals that we are. Whether and it, I don't want to say you know with any level of success, the success is different in in how you define it, dependent upon who you are and what you deem to be success. So. I, I always reflect back now and I think that, you know, I, I worked so hard because I was looking for that approval from, you know, from my parents, from people that were my mentors or mm -hmm. my teachers, whatever it could be. And it just, I always wanted to really just have them see me get into that potential. And then it just never ended, I guess. It yeah, never there ends. you go. <laughs> never ends. So how do you monitor your personal performance, your development and your growth? How do you monitor that? Well, I always want to be, you know, better than I was the day before in all things, whether it's uh, as a spouse, as a mom, mm -hmm. uh, as a friend, you know, I'm never going to rest on my laurels that I don't always have some work you can do in all of those areas. Right. And I, I feel like, um, if I focus on how do I become a better, all of those, um, then I'm always going to be into growth. You know, growth has been so important to me and I'm so thankful. I don't know where it ever started, but I'm so thankful it did because we've all have those friends from high school or somewhere where when you go back and meet them and talk to them and they've not moved two inches in growth, oh, it's really weird. It's so weird. I mean, I'm a different, different person, but they feel like exactly the person we were back then. And I just, Oh my gosh, I can't imagine anything like that. Um, because I just think, you know, the world is moving forward. And if we're not moving forward in it, we are actually moving backwards. And so I don't want to do that. I don't want to rest on my laurels in any relationship I have or any responsibility or any people I'm leading. Uh, leading means I'm out front. So I need to be moving and so that I can keep other people and help them keep moving also. That's so good. That is so good. So when you, when you had said you want to always be better than you were the day before, how do you reflect back? Do you, are you big on journaling? Is that part of the Linda routine or? No, I wish. Um, I'm terrible. <laughs> I have 50 million journals that I've started and I've tried. Uh, and I, no, um, it's not, um, you know, a lot of it I probably keep in my head, you know, <laughs> and certainly the failures in anything will remind you that you need to oh gosh, know yeah. a little bit more. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm terrible at that. It's probably more just my own inner collection of it, of, you know, how do I be kinder? How do I, you know, how do I be the person to give? Don't worry about what I'm getting in any of the relationships, you know, focus on giving. You cannot outgive in this world, what you're going to get. It's just, I think God made it that way. And I don't think there's anything we can do to change that. And so if I just will get up every day and focus on whatever the relationship with, or whatever the situation is, how can I give and don't worry about what I'm getting? And we all get in a situation where, you know, we don't do that, of course, but if I can do the best to do that, then I'm going to constantly be growing and I'm going to be enhancing any relationships or any situation that I'm in. Tell me about some of the personal development that you've been going through yourself and, and that you're very growth oriented, growth mindset and individual. I'm not sure it is even for you today, growth mindset. All so, right. So tell me about the, the personal development with the level of success that you are at. And I know that you see that as 
well, Brett, I still have so much more to do. <laughs> but right. with where you're at currently, what are you involved with? What are you seeking to learn more about? Well, I think in the beginning, I'll go back to the beginning. I think in the beginning, I was so hungry for knowledge and I didn't know that there were such things out there like Jim Rohn and Nito Cobain and Brian Tracy and all those guys. I just sucked up every bit of everything I could possibly get from all of them. Jack Canfield, you name them. I have books and audio and everything on my shelves and I have consumed all of it. And it gave me inspiration and hope to know that it doesn't matter where you start in life. You have so much opportunity and potential that you can expand on. So I think it started, and I think a lot in the very beginning, a lot of mine was more developed around self-help. I read a lot of self-help. Uh, I read a lot of mental kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then over the years, you know, I've graduated as I don't need that stuff anymore. There's no need to keep reading and reading and reading. But, um, you know, I pick and choose depending on, you know, if I'm struggling somewhere, uh, you know, it might be, you know, I might go back and pick up an, a, a parenting an adult child if I'm struggling in there and I'm trying to find out the, some answers or some help. I'll go pick a book up like that. But primarily, you know, most of my books are around leadership. I, for a long period, there was it was sales. When I was heavily into yeah. real estate sales, I read every possible book I could get on sales. Uh, and then when I, you know, felt like I, you know, didn't necessarily need a whole lot more of that, then I moved to more leadership and business oriented. And, um, you know, now I'm into a lot of intermittent fasting because I've struggled with my weight for 30 years and I feel like I have died and gone to heaven by finding intermittent fasting. And so now I want to tell the world about it. Most of my learning now is to share with the world. What do, what do I feel like there's a gap and how can I step into that? with my learning. I feel like I'm learning to share and give to other people. So I'm doing a ton on that. My new podcast will be on, uh, you know, a freedom lifestyle around your health. Cause I think the two things will come out of COVID needing more of is wealth and health. Yes. And those are my two favorite subjects. So I'll, I'll, I can do a quite a bit of learning around that area. And then just anything I can to help the leaders that, that follow me every day, whether it's, you know, real estate agents or it's my leadership team in the Ohio Valley, just anything that I can learn and share there. I mean, and I'm, you're, I'm, you're I'm, in the loop with, uh, with John Maxwell, if I, if I understand yep. correctly. Yeah. So that's, yeah, we just got back right before COVID. We got back from Israel. We did a 12 day trip with him and a small group to Israel was wonderful, fabulous. John's an, an amazing leader and we can always all learn something from him. And, and we take our leadership team every year to his exchange program. Oh, that's great. That is great yeah. to be able to put them in the room and hear those conversations. Yeah. What has it been like to, to be a, a companion on some of those trips with John? You know, I think, um, I think one of the greatest things I love by getting close to someone like John or Gary Keller, or anyone else is to find the ways that we're more alike than we're different. I think we spend too much of our time putting people up on pedestals and thinking they are totally different than us. And I don't ever do that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I do think they're on a pedestal, but I don't do that. I start looking for the ways we're the same because when I can figure out how we're the same, I'll take action quicker than if I think they're unique or they're so different or they're whatever. No, they're just bolder. They're more courageous. They've taken bigger steps than, than, than we've all taken. And so I, that's what I look for in those relationships. And that's what I love. I love seeing the fact that um, how we're all the same 
and how the, they are where they are because of the books they've read, the people they've been around, the, the, the commitments they've made that are bigger, all those things. And I just try to find those things in their life and decide if, if that's a commitment or a, or a lesson I want to learn. I love that. I love that. And I, I use that with, with sales so often. I mean, just building rapport with individuals and yes. connecting with them as opposed to finding the differences or reasons to not do this or reasons to not go on that, that consultation or whatever it could be. Mm -hmm. I love that you, you view it from the standpoint of a connection with somebody too. That's great. And you're, you're obviously with, with the amount of people that you've helped succeed, obvious, obviously you've got some incredible abilities as a leader, but what have some of the challenges looked like for you recently, even in the last four or five months or so, I'm losing track of even how long it's been, honestly. It seems like like eternity we've been in, in COVID. The, yeah, in the COVID world. What are some of the challenges that you've been facing with engagement with your leadership team and their their constituents that they're then leading as well. What are, what are some of the challenges? Do you mean specific challenges with COVID or just? Yeah, I mean, with, with the crisis as we know yeah. it. You know, it's interesting because uh, in a lot of ways, and I think this is going to be the case for everybody. I think, um, don't get me wrong. There are days that I feel down about this. I'm tired of it. You know, yeah. it's, it's frustrating. And, and then there's a lot of ways where, it's actually done some really great things. Uh, I feel like our leadership team is connected and all working unified together better now than we, we have been for the last few years. I kind of feel like we all get to that very complacent stage when everything's just going and great and you're not, when you get up against a challenge, you get to see who you really are. And I think COVID has been a challenge that it a little bit of the time we kind of all went, <gasps> what just happened, <laughs> you know, and, right. and then we kind of got our bearings. And what I have loved to see is how we've all shifted and figured out how to, how do we win anyway? You know, how do we, and so I think for my particular leadership team in the Ohio Valley region, I feel like we've kind of all gotten in step. Uh, I certainly know I, when I run by the, the neighbor uh, down the street, I say hi more now. <laughs> and before I might've been running, never even saw that neighbor. So I think we're aware of people more and we're, we're hungry more for connection. So I, after we got after the, over the initial shock, I think we we're actually in a good in step together. Do I miss hanging out and do I miss that? We're not going to be able to go to Austin in a couple of weeks. Yeah. I love it. I love Austin. I love mega camp. Yeah. I love seeing everybody. Um, but that's okay. We're just going to shift and do it through Zoom now. And so I think the biggest challenge kind of came on the front end, everybody kind of getting their breath knocked out of them. But since then, I think we have, um, we've kind of shifted a little bit and we've learned to operate in the new norm. I love hearing stories about businesses just being innovative now, or they're finally finding their their creative juices that they once had when they were thriving and then they just got in step of, oh, it's just, it's just a Monday, which is the same as a Thursday, which is the yeah. same as a, a Friday. It doesn't matter, but I love hearing the stories and also, especially real estate, hearing about, about people finding new ways and tactics and methods of meeting with people, doing their open houses and 
I mean, lead generation where they're not necessarily just picking up the 10,000 pound, you know, phone anymore. They're doing it yeah. through virtual open houses. I, I, it blows my mind. I, I love to hear about all of it. What, what is one piece of advice? This is coming from, uh, from a really, really close friend of mine. His name is Vince Mariini. So Vince knew that I was chatting with you today and, and wanted me to ask you about one piece of advice that was the most impactful in your ability to bring massive value throughout your career and who it was that gave it to you. Um, wow, I've had quite a few nuggets like that, but I'm going to boil it down to this one. Uh, no one succeeds alone. Mm. Um, and I got it from Gary Keller. Uh, because he was our fir my first mentor and teacher that began to show me that my life would be way bigger if I would learn to succeed through people, not around them. And I'm a pretty, I'm, I'm a pretty darn good soul performer and I have very low sociability. So this was not easy for me. This is not, uh, and I still struggle. I still get myself in messes because I say what I'm thinking and I don't think about how to say things sometimes. And mm. I'm very direct and I know my heart, but, but everybody doesn't see your heart. They hear your words. And right. so, and they hear your tone and my tone is direct because I am direct and I'm thinking about 10 feet ahead of where we're going. And so this has not been easy when I say this, but it's the greatest bit of advice I could have ever gotten because I have more joy in my life now succeeding through people and taking them with me than I ever did when I was a sole performer and I was getting all the awards of top sales and number one salesperson, all that stuff. It was great. Don't get me wrong. Cause I got a, most salespeople have a pretty good ego, but it wasn't, it wasn't the depth of the success and what I joy I feel now. And I, I don't know how you explain that to people. I just had to trust him when he said that. And I am a blind follower in a little, in a little bit, I will, I don't have to have proof right away. If I really, if you're valid to me and you're my leader and I really believe, and I can see in your own life evidence of what you're showing me and telling me, I will blindly do it. And I think you have to do that in, in success through people and not just success through people, meaning you have lots of people doing different things, but who am I taking with me? Who am I making a multimillionaire along the way with me? If they have and have, the willingness to do their part, right? I can't do it for someone, but if I can get with the right person who has that right drive and that right ability, then I'm willing to share the pie and make it all bigger for all of us. And I've, I noticed that's not a common thing. And I think people are missing a lot of joy when you don't set up your world in such a way that's big enough for other people to get what they want. Uh, and you be willing to give up your job if they want it. I mean, if they want my spot, that's great. Earn it. And then let's, I'll give you my spot and we'll go do something else together or whatever. And I just, I think I'm so thankful for that, that message from Gary so long ago. And again, it's a simple message. It's not an easy message to live out, but I get up every day and I keep trying to do that more and, and more. I, you're absolutely right. And it is very simple, but to actually act on that, it's hard. Oh my gosh. And I can only imagine with how big your, your empire and legacy has become over the years, how, how many experiences you've got with that. So how do you put boundaries around those types of individuals? 
is it a core value thing? Is it uh, an assessment test? Is it you send me your disc and I'll let you know if I'll be friends with you? Like, it, yeah. what what is it? Well, first of all, you got to realize you're never going to have, I think, you know, more than, I mean, you don't ever need more than five of those people in your life, period. And by the way, they're 1% of 1%ers, so there's not very many and they're hard to find. So once you kind of understand that, you're always looking. And I, again, I, you, you asked me in the very beginning, was I the one that said, uh, when you hear something or learn something, mm, yeah. you hear it because you're the person ready to hear it you can come back in a year or two or two years and hear something different because you're a different person. It's the same with being able to recognize and get talent. Uh, I can remember in my early years hearing Gary say this and I would go try it and it just felt so fuzzy and so gray and so hard. And, and it's because number one, I had to keep becoming the person that attracted those people. Mm -hmm. And then I had to make a few wrong hires along the way. And they're not bad people. Don't get me wrong. They're just not the empire builders that I can build something big with and I can make their world bigger because we're building it together. Right. There's a lot of great people, but there's very few empire builders or wealth builders or wealth determiners. And so one, I had to become the person that could attract those kind of people. My world had to get big enough because they got big dreams and big goals. And if your world's kind of little, they can't fit their big dreams and big goals into your little world. It's not going to happen. So I had to work on doing that. And then I had to work on becoming the person that, uh, that, you know, had enough opportunity for them to get theirs inside. Mm -hmm. And then I had to start making bad hires so I could feel what it felt like when it wasn't the right one. So that when I did get the, one of the right ones, you'd sense it and know it and, and know what to do with it. So it's a lot of things, you know, yes, it can be behavior and yes, it can be um, more than anything, a success track record that is already there in their life before they show up. I remember, you know, not re realizing that, you know, zebras don't change their stripes. So I'm not going to get somebody who hasn't already shown a trajectory of that kind of stuff in their life, taking territory, building things, I'm not going to make that person that person. They already are. I just got to learn to look for those clues. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of that. It's a, if I can watch them from afar in a different role first, that is even better because mm -hmm. they're not going to be able to hide behind that. They are who they are and they get up every day and they show me who they are. So it's a lot of things. It's not one thing. It's a lot of those things put together in a package in a person. That's incredible. And then their values and all that stuff has to line up and they're, you know, they're who they are as a human being. Um, you know, it, it, it took me a real hard lesson with a partner I had early on to realize that autobiographically, whoever they are at home, they're going to come to work and be that person. And if you've got some, you know, value problems from that person on a personal level, please don't think they're going to come to work and be this value centered person. They're not, they're going to, they're going to show that somewhere in your world too. And I had to learn that one the hard way. Oh, uh, it'll come out at some point or another. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. How do, how does one become the person that you like what you were mentioning, you had to become the person that could attract who you were seeking to mm -hmm. bring on the bus with you. How do you, how do you know who you need to become? How did you map uh, that out? Well, I think if you just get up every day and you try to be a better person tomorrow than you were the day before and you're into growth, your language will change. I promise you, if you had an audio of me 20 years ago, I would not sound <laughs> like this person today, right? Because I'm a, a, a compilation of all the books I've read, all the mentors I've listened to, 
all the failures I've made, all those things make you who you are. And, you know, you know, people, they can, they can say certain words and you can hear that their rhetoric or they can say certain words and you can feel their authenticity. And so it's that authenticity that comes out of you that is either going to attract or repel people. Uh, you can't, you know, you can't pretend to be somebody you're really not for very long. And so I think that's, that's how you do it. You keep growing and you keep learning and you keep figuring out how to help other people and finding out what are people's value gaps? Because the more I step into people's value gaps, the more I succeed at everything. But if I don't learn how to ask questions and not talk as much and, 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 you know, worry more about what can I learn from that person? How can I understand who they really are and what can I do to help them? That's, that's how you become the attractor of great people. Oh, I love that. Man, that's good, Linda. That's so good. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about hold. This is one of, this might be an opinion, but it's not just <laughs> mine. This is from many people. Uh, so you're, you're one of the co-authors of the book hold. Yep. And how, how did that book even, where did the idea come from to get this book together of talking about building wealth through holding on to, to real estate? Well, first we lived our life that way for many, many years. And when Gary Keller was putting his books together and he realized that one of the ones he wanted was on, on holding property, he immediately thought of us. Uh, he knew, you know, he, he's been alongside us for many years. Mm -hmm. He watched us. Uh, start building our investment portfolio. You know, the minute we heard Kiyosaki say the ways to build wealth are businesses, stocks, or real estate. And we said, well, look, I don't want to learn stocks enough to be really an investor. So let's take that one off the table. But by the way, we should be able to learn how to do real estate investing. And, you know, we will eventually get back to businesses and owning those kind of things. Yeah. Uh, and so he watched our journey in that. And so when he thought of who in the company would be the great examples of that, um, the, the couple that wrote it with us, they had a great property management company. And so that piece was needed. And we had been working on real estate investing for years and years and that piece was needed. So he put the four of us together and it was actually his idea. We, we didn't come up with the idea. Uh, he did. I love that. How, how did, so he obviously, I mean, Keller Inc to, to create a whole book, it's probably a little bit easier when when Mr. Keller himself is trying to put the whole thing together, how do how do folks now looking to get involved with Keller Inc. and create some type of platform such as a book even go about doing that? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I'm just going to be honest. For me personally, writing a book is hard no matter who's doing it. Number one, <laughs> we never had one conversation with Gary about the book. It's just Gary's idea. And if you know Gary, that's one of the things you love about him is he can have great ideas and him not ever be the one to put a finger or a toe in it. That's probably one of our greatest lessons we should get from him. Um, and so we mostly worked with Jay and then a ghostwriter uh, that that Jay had hired. And then Jay worked out all the, <laughs> the details with the uh, I guess it's, I think it's, hopefully it's McGraw Hill, I think is who, who did it. I'll have to find one of my books and look. Um, but anyway, so I don't know. I think if you were interested or you had a book that you thought Keller Inc. would be interested in, I would reach out to Jay uh, Papasan is how, who I would reach out to. You know, I, I currently have a couple of books in works. Um, 
And, you know, I hadn't even thought about going to Jay to, to do it. I've just gone back to our original ghostwriter of a book we wrote called Presentation Mastery for Realtors, which is our journey of building our seventh level team. Um, but the, I would definitely present any idea to them first and see if they were interested because they have a lot of knowledge on how to do it and what to do with it. But I would, I would say, find, what do you want the book to do first? Because you can spend a lot of money and never get your money back on a book. So what do you want the book to do? What's the end result? And there's lots of different ways to do smaller books that might give the same purpose to you as writing a huge book mm -hmm. that costs 35,000 or 50,000 or whatever, you know, it can cost you up to, to do that. You might be able to do a small one and still get the same outcome you want, like reach your tribe or create more validity or whatever, all those cool things that a book actually does for you. I love it. I love it. All right. You were, you were the, the queen of passive income, you know, every single thing. And you also love to talk about building wealth, right? Yeah. So, so you've got a document that we're going to be uh, putting into the BTL toolbox for all of our listeners. And this is the, the way to identify your freedom number. Yeah. What walk me through that? What is a freedom number? Well, first of all, um, I think everybody should come up with their freedom number. It's the first step in anything. I know that when we came up with our freedom number, uh, it caused us to put a plan in place and then the plan caused us to take action. And so I remember in the, my early days, I would go somewhere to a seminar and somebody would say, well, how much is enough, Linda? How much? Is, and that, that question really bothered me. I don't know. I could never answer it. I hated the question. And I would eventually realize the reason I hated the question is because it made it all about the money. Yeah. And I mean, I remember times I, I never even touched my commission check. Somebody else just took them. So it's never really about the money. But again, when you bring value to the world, um, you can't keep the money away. Right. And so and the, that question always bothered me. And then one day, one of my mentors posed it to me a different way. He said, Linda, what if you just came up with a number that if that number was coming in passively, you would work only because you wanted to, not because you had to, and you would feel like you had more options. I loved that question. Oh, and yeah. I'm like, Oh, okay, I can do that. So we came up with the number 250,000 was our first number. And I realized that because we came up with that number, it was kind of like making a decision to go after that. And I think until somebody makes a decision and even has a number that you're shooting for, I think you'll think about it occasionally, but you won't take action on it. So to me, the freedom number is the number where you, yes, you can continue to work, but you're doing it for different reasons. You're doing it because you want to, not because you have to. And it's also on this freedom number worksheet that, that, that you're going to get to people. It's going to have them think about their life's unexpected because as we traveled this journey and we're farther down the road now, looking back, you know, we've had a life circumstance where we had a, a very young son-in-law pass away from cancer. And for 10 and a half months, we wanted to be with him and my daughter and my granddaughter. And so without money coming in passively, you don't get those options when, when life gives you an unexpected like that. And then we've also had, you know, siblings who we got to buy their house and, and pay it off and give them life estates. Those are life's unexpected. And so we have a place in there for you to come up with your unexpected also. But to me, it's so important because I think it starts with a number and you get to, we've, we've blown by that number so far and so long ago, but I don't think if we'd ever set the number, we would have been as intentional about getting to the number. And so that's why I think it's important to have a freedom number and you have it so that you'll build a plan around it and you'll start to spend some of your week each week working towards 
creating that wealth and passive income because passive income gives us options. And I am all about options and freedom. I, I have been since I was very 18 years old. Uh, when I had my first job that I had to go in at eight and get off at five, I, I hated that. I felt so restrained. And so I always say I got into real estate where you go in way before eight and get off way after five, <laughs> but I had freedom. Yep. And so my soul was telling me freedom is super important to me. And so because of that, I think it's important to everybody. And if it's not, it should be. So uh, that's why I became the queen of passive income is because I want freedom and options. And I just know life is better when you have them. That's, that's amazing. And at this point, you and Jim, how many, how many rental properties, I guess, just, just residential properties do you guys yeah have? i want to say the residential we're probably at about 80 something 89 now we have sold off a few of the problem ones and old ones and just ones that when we kind of really looked at it the the maintenance of them we got rid of them but, but we're going up on our vacation rentals we're now at uh, i think nice. 21 vacation rentals and we're about to build 12 more so we're increasing the vacation rentals right now and all the properties that we've bought this past year which have been quite a few we've actually flipped and, and we're not the flip people usually, mm. but at this age in our life and also at this stage of the market we're in, there's been more flips. And so we're flipping almost everything except for our vacation rentals. We're holding those. That's awesome. And is that uh, across the country or specific? The single locations? families are all right here. Okay. Uh, the flips are pretty close here also, unless we, you know, unless we have a partner that calls us and said, Hey, I've got a good flip and I don't have enough money. Will you partner with me? Which we just did in Lubbock, Texas. That's the farthest away we've done that. It's five hours. Um, we're, we're doing that one, but otherwise they're those single families and the holes in the flips are pretty close. Our vacation rentals are all, uh, in Missouri, except for our ranch in Texas that we turned into a vacation rental. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, commercial real estate is in here in the mix as well. Yep. But all of our commercial real estate, we have a particular business in. I think we have seven uh, commercial buildings, oh, Cool. Um, but all of them have at least one of our businesses in them somewhere. Uh, there could be other tenants too, but we're at least one of the occupants of it. That is not a bad strategy, Linda. <laughs> not a bad strategy. So We've got the document for finding your freedom number that's going to go in yep. the BTL toolbox for everybody listening. You'll be able to find access to that through the show notes. However, to access it, you've got to make a charitable donation. So Linda, your charity of choice, if I'm correct on this, is the Salvation Armory. Ar Army. Yep. Armory. The yep. Salvation Army. So what, what is the importance behind that? Uh, when I grew up as a kid, every one of my Christmases were provided by the Salvation Army. Every piece of clothes I wore, uh, they even came in a station wagon every Wednesday and Sunday and took me and my brothers to church. Oh, wow. So they're a great organization. If you look them up, they have one of the largest percentages of money that goes to the good than any organization. You know, if you really study charity, charitable organizations, sometimes not very much money that you give to them actually goes to the benefit of the people. And I am living proof. So I have a goal to give a million dollars in my lifetime to Salvation Army. Uh, it might be, most of it might be after my lifetime. It's, uh, it's in my will. Uh, but I, it is an organization that I got firsthand the great work that they can do. That's amazing. That, that means even more. Uh, I love that. <laughs> Linda, this is so much fun. I, I just want to keep talking about investments, honestly, but I, we'll, we'll maybe <laughs> have another part. Yeah. We'll, we'll have a, another, another session of part two and maybe we'll be able to get Dana on here. So we've got the dynamic yeah. duo from, yes. from your podcast on the show, but 
thank you so much for coming on here. I've learned so much. I'm sure if I'm learning from this and I'm just having the conversation, I'd, others that are just listening have the ability to retain a whole lot more. So thank you so much. This is incredible. My pleasure. Thank you. Always a joy. And anything I can do to help, I'm happy to. I love it. Stay tuned for the next episode and thanks for listening.